Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. We are ex-Mormon Christians united for Jesus. Find us at unveilingmormonism.com and find the podcast at unveilinggracepodcast.com. That's unveilinggracepodcast.com. My name is Lynn Wilder, and this is my crazy co-host, Yes, Michael, and you probably noticed the background's different this time. So uh, where am I located? Nobody <laughs> knows at this point, so I'm kind of hiding out in the twilight zone. But uh, there is a bed behind us, so uh, behind me anyway, there's nobody else here. And so, but actually, this is, this is my bedroom, so, uh, and my wife's bedroom. It's our happy bedroom, so, okay. okay. Not <laughs> sure where that was going. But anyway, but that's we, why you see a, a bed behind us, because the other room that I was broadcasting in, not that this is important, is being remodeled, okay? So they moved me out. So Well, it's we remodeled because it was totally destroyed in the hurricane. Right, <laughs> right. If you could see the background <laughs> around me when I was broadcasting <laughs> other times, it was total destruction. All you saw was just a white wall and a little sign, be calm and carry on. So, <laughs> uh, but anyway, who do we have with us, Lynn? We have an awesome guest. This is Vince Grinstead. I'm so excited that Vince decided to talk to us today. His wife was on the podcast most recently. And when we asked Vince if he would come and tell his side of the story, um, he was not sure he was ready. And then we heard from him just recently. And I'm so excited. So we will air this right after Ashley Grinstead's story. This is Vince Grinstead's story. Welcome, um, Vince. And thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Tell us about your LDS background. Were you born LDS, active family? Yes. Uh, so I was uh, born and raised uh, in the church, um, was uh, baptized in the church when I was eight. Um, you know, uh, f four years later, received the priesthood. Uh, you know, my, let me see, so I guess my, my uh, both my parents, they both, were technically, like my mom was definitely considered a convert to the church. My dad technically was counted as a convert baptism because he was nine at the time. Um, oh. Right. <laughs> but uh, so that's kind of as far back as like the church goes in, 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 in my, uh, in my family. Um, uh, but my mom did have uh, six brothers and sisters who have had many children over the years. And so I have quite a few, uh, church members, uh, people who are members of the Mormon church. Uh, some live in Utah, Idaho, Virginia, different places. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just grew up uh, in the church, grew up just knowing that that's, that's just what we did. I mean, I, you know, I looked forward to um, being in scouts, passing the sacrament, different things like that when I turned 12. And so I did all that. Um, everything was pretty, and I would have to say, um, just didn't really have too many issues, uh, till I maybe got maybe 15 or 16 years old. Um, uh, cause I went to, you know, I went to early morning seminary also, um, for, uh, so, till I was, like I said, 16. So early morning, right? Because you didn't live in Utah. You lived right. somewhere on the East coast. Right. Yeah, yeah, we got, I mean, I think I was supposed to be there at 6.30 in the morning. 
And then it stopped at 7.15. Then we would go directly to school from there. It was was about 20 minutes away from our house. And so me and my sister would get up and, you know, when we couldn't drive, my dad would take us. And uh, then when we did start driving, we would go there or we'd catch a ride with uh, somebody who was, you know, lived near us or or was going that way. Um, Yeah, I mean, my uncle taught the seminary class. I always looked up to him, spent a lot of time with him. I uh, went camping with him. Um, you know, I was really close to him too, but I just, um, you know, when I try to look back on like kind of a timeline, uh, I really feel like that where I started having a lot of issues um, was probably around 16, 17, because I started dating a girl in, in high school and, um, you know, her and I, uh, she didn't really go to any church that I know of. She never said anything to me about church, and I don't think she really knew much about, uh, you know, a Mormon either. But I mean, we didn't really have a physical relationship at all. I that 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 wasn't something that I um, was even used to or even thought about, right? So I just, um, but we got pretty pretty serious. But uh, like I said, never really were physical. But I had one instance where uh, where I think things kind of took a turn for me was that. I was on the phone with her uh, one night and my mom came outside. I remember I was in the backyard of our house and was talking to my girlfriend and my, my mom, I'm not sure what she was thinking or what, like why she thought this, but she came out and started saying like, I know you're um, having an intimate relationship with her. She just said, "I, I know that's happening. Like you shouldn't be doing that. And I'm like, what? And I mean, I, I was not. So I, something triggered in me that like, I truly, truly um, disliked her not trusting me. And something, something changed in me that day, I guess it just, um, I don't know. I didn't really know who I was anymore either, I guess, because I wasn't sure which way I wanted to go. Cause I felt like I was being kind of attacked for something I had no, there's no real reason for me to be attacked for him. And maybe I mean, I spent a lot of time with her. Right. But I mean, um, I, I don't know. I don't know if my mom was just, uh, you know, worried about me, jealous of her. I, I don't, I'm not sure really. Um, but, but maybe the spirit giving you a sense of how everyone was measuring each other. Um, possibly. Yeah. 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 I mean, that whole idea of, you know, you have to be good and you have to stay within these standards to be accepted. And, um, and even sometimes I'm not, and I'm not saying this about your mom, but, um, that kind of performance-based stuff sometimes breeds, well, I'm not going to love you or you're not going to have privileges from me, right? Unless you stay within this box. And that's very Mormon, right? Because of the culture. Yeah. Right. I, I kind of wonder if she was thinking because I know when we were raising our kids and, and haven't been involved in, you know, gosh, young men programs for so many years. And and when I was in the bishopric, I was oversaw the young men program. And it was like you don't date non-members. You know, that was a whole concept in Mormonism. We always right. taught that maybe because you were, you know, she was afraid you were getting emotionally involved with a girl who was not a Christian at all, per se, and and not even a member of the LDS church. And maybe she was trying to 
agitate you to a degree that maybe you would break it off or or something. I don't know, but yeah. But I know with us, you know, we always, you know, our boys, we always try to encourage, always date girls that are members. But we lived in an area where there wasn't that many LDS kids, so right. it was hard right. for them. And you probably had the same case in your case. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Uh, I mean, and I, I mean, I am missing kind of a kind of a big piece of just sort of sort of candy. Well, I was thinking about, you know, all this, too, because uh, I haven't really thought about that time period of my life uh, <laughs> recently. Um, but at that same time. Um, so, you know, picture. So my family went to church every Sunday. That's just what we did. Right. I mean, we were yeah, you know, right. we were we were considered very active. Um, uh, I think my parents both held, you know, held various callings you know, all the time, basically. Right. Um, and my sister, so I have an older sister and a younger sister <clears throat> and my older sister, uh, she would have been, so when she was 16, so I'm one year apart from her. So I would have been 15 at this time, but she, when she turned 16, she started working at a fast food restaurant, you know, got herself a part-time job and started meeting some different people. Um, and she would go to seminary with me, like I had mentioned before, but, very quickly after going to work at that part-time job, she uh, she stopped coming to church, you know, pretty much right away. And I don't, you know, mm. I think she just started to see a different, some some freedom, you know, to be honest with you. I don't want to say that in a bad way to say my parents were like keeping us from, uh, you know, doing things that we wanted to do. But I mean, at, when you're 16 years old, there are things you shouldn't be doing and somebody needs to tell you that. <laughs> But um, so she she met with some, you know, she met some people there. She would want to stay out late. She wanted to start smoking cigarettes. She wanted to start being like them. Right. Mm -hmm. And during that time, that actually very, very quickly evolved. I mean, things happen so fast. Like I, like, I don't have a great timeline for all that. But I mean, within I want to say within within six months, inside of six months of her starting to work at that job. Um, next thing we knew, she was in court. Um, getting emancipated from my parents. Whoa. And she gave some false, she, she absolutely gave false accusations of my father putting hands on her. I mean, that did not happen. Um, but she, I mean, she, she was just fighting for her independence, you know, looking mm -hmm. back on it now, uh, she was not being a bad kid. She just, you know, she was coming out of a very strict, like you said, you know, a work, a works-based religion that you uh, have to work very hard at if you want to be, <laughs> you know, if you want to be doing it right. Um, you know, if you want to fall in line with other people that are active and are doing the things that, you know, the church says you should do, that's, you got to work at that. And I think she just saw other people that seemed happy and weren't doing any of that. And she thought, well, I've been missing something and she, she went really far the other way. Right. Um, but she ended up getting emancipated from our house and or she left and went, went to actually live with a uh, guy that she uh, started dating and lived with her parents, with his mother who actually was a member of the church, but had a, that, that's a whole nother, like I don't really know that story, but, but I do know that she came from a very, very strict Mormon household, but I understand that that strict household um, was actually quite had a lot of hypocrisy in it. If that makes sense, I know you guys probably know what I'm talking about a little bit. But yeah, 
Yeah. Um, so what happened to you, though? Did you so, stay active? Did well, you stay within the box? Did you serve a mission? Okay, so I stayed within the box for, for a short amount of time. And I remember I was trying to trying to reach out to my sister. I mean, this is my sister. You know, I loved her. And I remember hanging out with her one night um, with some people I didn't really know. And that was the first time I ever smoked marijuana. And so uh, that sent me down sort of like, I think that's when I just kind of said, look, I can't go to church now. Like I'm, you know, I'm smoking, I'm doing these kinds of things. So I really didn't go to church much more Mm -hmm. after that. Um, But then there was a situation that got kind of radical in my life where I just, I wrote some bad, wrote some bad checks. We're hanging out, was hanging out with some bad people. This was very shortly after high school, kind of lived out of my car for a short amount of time. Um, Like I know I'm saying a lot of things that have no context, but I just lived in my car for a little bit of time, was doing drugs, partying, drinking. Church was far, like church was nowhere in my mind. Um, And I wrote some bad checks, got in a lot of trouble and was facing, facing some trouble. And this is kind of where a pattern began that I still deal with today in part um, is that when I get in big trouble like that, I run. And so Mm -hmm. what I did was, is I met someone online that lived in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, And that person told me like, hey, come start a new life. Like we can be together and you can get a job. Like just leave all that behind. And so I did that. I cold turkey, didn't tell anybody where I was going and just left. I was gone uh, for about a week until a a cousin uh, that's a good friend of mine. He's actually was raised uh, Seventh-day Adventist. He's still goes to that church now, but he, uh, he called me and reached out to me and was just like, you know, we always called each other bro. And he just said, bro, I miss you. Where are you? And like, it kind of shocked me back to reality to say, what am I doing? Like uh, my, my family doesn't know where I am. Um, nobody really knew where I was. And so that ended up being a really crazy situation. Um, like the situation wasn't what, what it was like advertised to me to be. Um, and it just got kind of scary pretty quickly, but I was able to, I was able to get out of that um, and get back home safely. <laughs> but from from that, okay. So then when I came back from that, so that is part part about. I'll try to be quick about that. But when I was in Cincinnati, I was left up there basically with no money, no gas in my car, didn't know what to do. Like I literally just left that lady's house and went to a current like a payphone. I think I called collect, you know, back when we still did that. But, uh, so I called collect and my mom picked up and she hadn't heard my voice in a week. So of course, you know, she was just, you know, beside herself, but she did some research, found a LDS meeting house that was close by, told me the address. I, I drove there and waited the whole night. And, uh, the next, the next day it, it was Sunday actually. And I hadn't been in a LDS building for about three years, at least, I want to say, probably three years. And so I met the stake president. It was, he was the stake president, I believe. And I met with him. He sat down with me, asked me where my life had been going, what was going on. Um, and I have to admit, I mean, he, you know, he was not condescending. He wasn't like, hey, what are you doing? Like, he was more like, let's see what we can do to get you home. And he kind of said, you know, I just hope you can get your life back in order kind of thing. Right. He had already talked to my mom. So I really don't know what they talked about beforehand, but he gave me some gas money and I drove straight home. Mm -hmm. And I think from that, from that situation, I did, when I got back home, I got my life cleaned up, 
um, you know, stopped doing the things that I was doing, um, started going back to the LDS church. Um, of course, I had to meet with the bishop and I had to talk about all the stuff I've been doing uh, for the last several years. Um, didn't have to go through any any kind of a church court or anything because I hadn't even uh, had the Melchizedek priesthood yet. So it was really kind of more of a, hey, don't do that stuff anymore. Let's get you ready for a mission kind of thing. And I'm like, I missed that boat. That's what I thought, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But I worked with, so I got a job working with my dad. And so I rode with my dad to work every day for about 18 months. And he actually would basically take my paycheck, help me pay off some debt that I owed to him and to other people and got my life back together. And that's when I decided that I was going to serve a mission. So, and uh, I went to the Iowa Des Moines mission in 2004. And so, um, how, how old were you at that time? Um, <laughs> so I would have been, I turned 21 okay. in the mission field. So I, so I went January 20th of 2004 and I turned 21 at March. Okay. So, like so two months just, later. just for a lot of people to know out there as a general rule during that period of time, uh, Mormon young men, you know, when they graduated from high school, they would usually receive the uh, uh, Melchizedek priesthood or being prepared to get the Melchizedek priesthood. Some of them would go to college for a year. Some would work for a year. And usually around the age of 19, they would um, get ready to go on a mission. So you're like, in your case, you're back two years later. Okay. You're actually a lot like our oldest son who was, went on his mission, I think about two years later. Um, and, but Micah, uh, right? no, that was Josh. This was oh, son. sorry. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That was, uh, uh, you know, Micah couldn't wait to get on. I mean, they let him go when he was 16. He would have been out on the mission at 16. But <laughs> yeah, but, uh, okay. but anyway, so I just want people to understand the timeline so they yep. don't think, oh, that's not so old, you know. But in Mormonism, everything goes on a schedule. And But that that's an amazing thing. I, I want to say I've worked with a lot of bishops and a lot of state presidents and people in, in the state presidents and bishoprics. And it's like anything. You find some really compassionate men who are just there to help. They love people. And you can also find people who are just the opposite. I'm just amazed. Uh, uh, praise God, you found a good state president that was showing compassion um, and got you home and probably, you know, and you must have had a pretty good bishop too, I bet. Uh, I did. I mean, I knew that bishop. I mean, I've been in the church, you know, I mean, I was in the church here all my life until I just knew a lot of the people anyway, and they knew my grandfather because he actually okay. was in like a stake president, uh, stake presidency at one point in Charlottesville. Okay. Close to where okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah. uh, so so now you're you're prepping to go on a mission. Well, so yeah, okay. So I mean, um, yeah, I mean, we can go back just a little bit. When I prepped on my mission, I, um, you know, I really, like I said, I was going to work with my dad every single day. Um, spent a lot of time in the scriptures. Spent a lot of time going out with uh, when I say scriptures. The, the Book of Mormon, mostly, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, when LDS, you know, when you say scriptures, you're not usually talking about all of them. <laughs> um, but uh, but I did read, you know, a lot of the New Testament too, because I actually was friends with, uh, you know, good Christian people. Actually, one in particular that I still see to this day, and that woman, she she is such uh, just a good example of a. Um, just of a good Christian, because that woman, she would have conversations with me about, hey, 
not really crazy about this Mormon thing that you do. Um, but hey, I love you. Um, I'll talk to you about Jesus anytime. And that lady, I, I tell you, which to me, I thought this was pretty remarkable. That lady wrote me a check for $800 before I left for my mission. She didn't, she didn't, she didn't agree with why I was going, but she, she believed in me, right? Mm. She believed in me. And she, she, she said, well, I know that you're going to make a difference in people's lives for good. You know, she's kind of left it at that. Right. I mean, I think she, um, and I, you know, I've, I've seen her since and she just has the same sweet sweetness about her. I mean, I can and tell since, she's still, yeah. Since I know how your story ends, I'm pretty sure other people come along down the road, right? That are good biblical believers that pour into you Absolutely. at different times in your story. I found Absolutely. it really interesting when you were in Cincinnati, right, that you ended up or your mom got a hold of somebody in the LDS church, you know, as a Christian, typically you would probably, the first thing you do is go to your knees, right? Right. Pour right. out your heart right. to God. Sure. And then sometimes he crazily supernaturally provides, right? Or right. sends someone to help you. But when I was yeah. LDS, I would never have thought of God, needing to provide for me, right? I would right. I would That's have thought point. the LDS church has to step up and do something, right? Because right. Yeah. yeah. Now that no no that's an excellent point. And actually since you brought that up, I don't mean to I know I'm jumping around so people can stick with me, but um see uh just about so about a um let's see 2004 in 2002. So I've had a good uh like a good friend in my life that's quite a bit older than me. Like he's, he's, he's old enough to be my father, but I, I went to school with his, uh, with his children actually, but he has been really instrumental in my life in realizing that, Hey, you know what? Um, well, if we have different beliefs, we can, we can still talk, we can still pray, we can still spend time together. And he did that with me a lot. I would go to his, uh, he had a, a gas station. Uh, he still has some gas station here, here locally. And we, when, when he would close it at night, me and some other guys in, in town uh, would meet with him and pray and read the Bible, right? Oh, and he was Christian, I assume. Absolutely. You were Mormon yeah. at the time, yeah. yeah. Right, absolutely. And so see what happened in 2002, because you see I came, I had that whole Cincinnati thing happen, which would have been really close to like in the year 2001, right? Because I graduated 2001, Cincinnati thing happened in 2001, uh, got uh was getting my life back together at that point was in the middle of, you know, trying to um, just uh, be a better Mormon. Right. <laughs> but uh, during that time, he invited me to go to a third day concert. Um, mm -hmm. And at that time in my life, I was a little bit, I was a little bit leery of some Christian music because like in, in the Mormon rules I've been kind of raised with, it was kind of like, Hey, you know, we call him heavenly father. We say thee, thou, I like you don't just talk about God and say you and like so a lot of Christian music was like using that right just speaking a lot more comfortable to yeah. God than I was mm -hmm. used to so it's funny like at the time I was kind of like I don't know if I should go to this concert like no, I'm just not really sure if this is good for my Mormon life you know so but I went and to me a remarkable a remarkable thing happened that night is that uh, Michael W. Smith was there as well and he um, and he had a song uh, that that he played started with a violin 
And um, he, it's uh, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And um, every time I talk about that song, I'm sorry, I'm going to try to um, keep it together, but I felt Jesus in an amazing way that night. I, I felt like I was the, I, we were in a huge stadium. Um, uh, and uh, I felt like I was the only one there. And like, I was like, wow, what, what is this? <laughs> like, what, a, what is happening right now? You know, because I just, you know, when you tell somebody like, um, like when you're in the Mormon church, you know, you don't talk about, oh, I got saved when I was, or I got, no, you, you just say, oh, I was baptized when I was eight. And like, then you kind of go on like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in the teacher's corner. Or, oh, I'm in that, like, like, you don't say like, oh, hey, yeah, when I was nine, like I was reading in, you know, Ephesians and this, this verse stuck out to me and I hit my knees and I said, Lord, save me. Like, you don't, you don't say that. Like, you just, you're not taught in that way. So when that happened to me, I'm like, what is this? What is happening? And so later after the concert in his vehicle, I was there with some other uh, peers of mine. Um, and that's when I like, that's when I prayed and asked Christ into my heart. And it was something I was yeah. not, I was not real familiar with doing that. Like, it, like, it's funny at the time, the words coming out didn't sound right to me, but it sure did feel right. I got to tell you, like, and I, and uh, I'll never forget that night. That's the thing that really kind of like was my guiding. That was my guiding star, even through when I went on my mission. Cause see, then you fast forward two more years and I went on my mission, but I always felt like when I was on my, so on my mission, of course, you know, I went to the mission training center. I was, you know, uh, taught how to be a missionary. I mean, you're there only for three weeks when you go stateside. So it's not, it's not a lot you're going to learn in three weeks. But, but then when I get to the field, like I have a lot of baggage in my mind, right? I have a lot of baggage in my heart and in my mind of the life that I lived before, but I actually feel like it helped me in a lot of ways. Cause I would see people that were struggling with like an addiction or with something and my companions were mostly always from Utah not trying to say anything bad about that, but they didn't even know someone who had drank alcohol. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. they didn't even, wow. wow. Like, well, I mean, in some cases, but. Yeah. Well, I think this is a great place to start, stop so people can come back on the next one and see the pickup uh, at this point. Wow. That's an amazing end. That's, that's wonderful. So this is how we're going to pick it up on the next episode. Well, yeah, I'm excited to hear more. Somebody could save, then goes on a more revision. <laughs> Wonder how <laughs> right. that worked. Vince, right. thank you. We will be back for part two. Grace and peace to you, friends. Until next time. And may God bless.